Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debbin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. So you're now about to witness the height of my powers of persuasion. Is that is that what this is? This is it. I've been trying to get our guest to come on the podcast now for three or four weeks, and he's always very politely declined. Is it is it a shyness issue? No, it's not a shyness issue. <laughs> no, no, no one would see this gentleman and think he's shy. Well, see, I didn't think so either. So, but our guest is one of the owners here at Mission Cigar, Mr. William Horton. Willie to all of his friends, enemies, acquaintances. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have you always been Willie? I, no, I actually, uh, at 60, when I turned 60, I decided I wanted to convert from a William to a Willie. That's a bold move at yeah, 60. I know. I'm transitioning. <laughs> I feel like it normally goes the other way. It's like Willie up until 30, then it becomes William. I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, in my baldness, I'm, I'm thinking about a little ponytail back here. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Then you'll have to be Bill. Yeah. I don't think the world's yeah. ready for that. Well, Willie, there's a lot of people in the cigar community you meet, and not everybody likes everybody. Everybody loves Willie. Yeah, that's true. I don't don't know anybody that doesn't love Willie. And if somebody comes in here nine times out of ten that none of us know, they say, oh, I know Willie. Well, there are a few people. But they they really don't like me, so it's but it's a few. Not so they me. they stay out of here though, so yeah. we would never know that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we would we would never meet them. I I do have to keep Willie and my wife separated when we're in the circle up front because they start arguing back and forth and picking at each other mercilessly. <laughs> that's that of all the reasons to have to keep your wife separated from another man, that's a good reason. <laughs> Well, you always know how well my wife likes you by how much grief she gives you. Yeah, it's and I, true. I think she may like Willie more than me at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all in love. <laughs> she, she has, she has a ball picking on Willie and all. So we, we have a great time here. Willie, you've had a pretty interesting, interesting road to get to where you are today. And I'll tell us about the machine gun company. Okay, I, this is this is a part I've never even heard the whole story. Well, my um, my mother and uh, what was to become my stepfather had uh, ideas of uh, what to get, they could invest in, and they decided to invest in armored vehicles. And this was in the early seventies, and and that led we bought a bunch of half tracks and tanks restored them and stuff and that led to he he had he also was a machine gun licensed dealer and and we discovered that there was some demand for a certain kind of machine gun the 50 caliber uh, m2hp and so and there was none being produced since world war ii so in 1977 um a very small group of people uh, maybe a company of 10 tooled up to manufacture that gun and in 92 days we manufactured the first weapon from plans laid out we got the the prints from uh, freedom of information act and um, and we manufactured that and we sold those from 1977 until we sold the company in 1982 and in addition to that we also manufactured the uh, mark 19 grenade launcher and some other things 
but it was really a very special time. What was the road like to get from no one's making this to be able to be licensed and certified and all the things that it took? Well, it, it, then it was probably a lot easier than now. Oh, uh, for sure. Licensure and all that. But my my stepfather, uh, his name was Pony Maples, and um, he he was the most remarkable person I've ever met at getting things done. Mm. And and when he set something out as a goal, it got done. And so he waded through that. Um, it really wasn't much because he already was licensed. We had to get our manufacturing license, which was not a big hurdle. And, um, and then we had a marketing company that was out of Minnesota. And it really just all fell together because there was no competition at that point. Uh, nobody else was making that gun. It was not until... Um, early in the 80s that we had any competition at all. That certainly helps. Yeah. Now, what's your target market for a gun like that? We were doing export sales. We were doing, you know, obviously through State Department, but um, it was it was Middle East, Far East. It was, we. I think we, when we sold the business, we'd manufactured about 4,050 cows. Where's the manufacturing facility? Where was the manufacturing well, facility actually, for this? Well, then the rest of the story is... Um, they, when we, we actually bid on the U.S. contract to make the Mark 19, which was really a big weapon system. Uh, it's a grenade launcher, automatic grenade launcher, 40 millimeter. And we went all in on that. And it wasn't Colt, no, uh, actually General Dynamics won the, won the uh, so we were a company at that point of 50 people up against General Dynamics. And um, so... When they go all, all in, it sort of we were in a sort of financial pickle, and we we sold the company in '82, and then we created a company. We realized that there were a lot of people making guns, there were a lot of people making the platforms the guns go on, but there was nobody integrating those two things. So we started another company that, that made mounting systems. That um, long story, but actually. My sister and I sold that company in 2017, and it still exists today in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, under the name Military Systems Group, and it um, it is doing very well. So it was it, it was it really you know it's I, I wasn't in the military, and it uh, is quite different. But I, I I very much value what they do. I know a lot of people in that, um, but I wasn't the person to take that on. So. We made the decision to sell that. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating aspect that you went from the machine gun business to the cigar business. And there was, there was a couple companies in between those two things. But, um, and and the, the, the journey into cigars, I, I sold another business in uh, 2021 and, and retired. And I was going to do something. But I set out that I, there was no, there were going to be no, no brick and mortar, no employees. I had to be able to do it from Florida, and and Mark, who I think has been on this show, um, he came to me and said, "What do you think about a cigar shop?" He and, said, "Yeah, uh, sure." In Tennessee. <laughs> no, and I had never smoked a cigar before. Oh, really? No, maybe a Swisher Sweet, smoked cigarettes, but I what I realized was the magic in a cigar and conversation and. Um, so that led me into this because I, I love people and um, and and just the vibe of of this uh, this mission cigar is it just is a natural. 
Well, uh, I had to jump right into Willie's story because I really I'd never heard the whole machine gun story. I, I didn't even know that that was a part of your story. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I, my life really was manufacturing, manufacturing fabrication. So this is quite different for me. Than did did you all do all your own machining or? Yeah. Okay. I still have an interest in a machine shop in Murfreesboro that does uh, orthopedic stuff. Um, Very cool. So I'm still in that, and that's that's really where I probably fit best. But but for sure, my job's easier here. So when you got to go in and get your new need, were you critiquing the worksmanship yeah, along the way? Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to make sure it wasn't from our parts. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to ask. Did you insist upon <laughs> upon your parts being yeah, used in this need? Yeah, where you get this stuff? <laughs> so, what we're smoking tonight, we, might, we better cover that real quick. So, Willie's smoking the Lagalera 1936 box press. It's a Habano wrapper over a Dominican binder and... Um, a Carioyo 98 binder and a Dominican filler. Great stick. I I really enjoyed that stick. There's I don't think there's been another company like La Galera that has come out seemingly out of nowhere and grabbed me with their entire line like they have. The price is right, the flavor and construction are so good, and from the Connecticut all the way up to the Maduro and everything in between, they're they're so different that there's something to like about all of them. And my, and coming out of manufacturing, I'm 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 very much about the the draw, the the quality of not necessarily the flavor of cigar, but consistency of the of the draw and all those things. And I have never uh, run into anything that that's probably more important to me than anything else. Is 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 one is one is like the next. Yeah. And um, and I've never run into anything bad in this. So according to the Willie system, what number of cigar is that for you today? <laughs> uh, I probably and I hope my doctor's not listening to this, but um, I, I think I haven't given any away today and nobody's given me one for free and those don't count. So I think this is my third or fourth cigar. Yeah, as we stated before, the Willie, the Willie cigar counting system is if you get, if you buy a cigar and smoke it, that counts as one. If you are given a cigar, that counts as zero. And if you give someone a cigar, that takes one off. So if you if you buy a cigar, smoke it, give one away, and are given one, you've smoked two cigars, but you're at zero for the day. Right. Exactly. What generally happens is I'm, I've. I've sworn to my doctor I'm going to smoke six a week so normally Friday or Saturday I give a bunch of cigars away just to just to balance just the to week balance, just to get me back into honesty so if you're, <laughs> you're the only guy I know that needs an accountant to keep track of how many cigars you there's a ledger there's a yeah. ledger up there behind me <laughs> if you're planning a visit to beautiful Spring Hill Tennessee and Mr. Cigar and Social and Willie is working he'll probably give you a cigar <laughs> <laughs> just Friday or Saturday is a good day to come yeah so see what see what he counts at he may need one and I'll we'll, we'll take one for the team so I guess by that account I'm still at two for the day Right, and I'm now back down to two. That's right. Because I gave you that cigar. Exactly. So this is the Boulevard Cafradia by Lost and Found. So this is the collaboration between Robert Caldwell and Justin Andrews. And it is an Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper, uh, U.S. Connecticut broadleaf binder, and filler from the DR. So it's this is the first time I've ever had it. And on first light, it's pretty good. 
Those are great little cigars for the price. I was about to say, this is a Toro, so it's a 6 by 54 so it's a full-size cigar. Seven forty-three is retail price on that. Yeah, for the price, that cigar is hard to beat. They had, they never got a following around here that they deserved. And goodness knows, I bought enough of them during poker time that I thought maybe it would kind of, because Jonathan, our local Caldwell rep, is a regular here, and I always try to get people to smoke his stuff, because I, I want Jonathan to succeed and succeed well in this shop as it is his home shop. Right. So I'm always giving one of those away, and it's nice to give one away that, that doesn't break the bank. Now, I'm going to be smoking the La Galera and Amoy. And Willie and I are both smoking La Galera, totally unknown. I didn't know he had one in his hand when I went in the humidor. This is the wind, is what an Amoy means. And I know I'm mispronouncing that, but it means the wind. This is a great stick. This is one of those few cigars that when the rep brought it in and handed it to Mark, Monty, and myself, we all three smoked it and said it's a wonderful stick. Let me see it just real quick. And it's, it's rare for that to happen, especially Monty and I. Usually Monty and I, our palate is night and day different. So the, the NMY, it's a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. The binder and filler is from the Dominican Republic. But in it, the blender is Hoki, Hochi Blanco. And Hochi Blanco has blended a lot of cigars for a lot of different companies. Yeah, that's a name that you hear a lot, but probably wouldn't know... It's not like a Willie Herrera where it's obvious what his hand has touched. Yeah, he's not a he's not a cigar celebrity. He's just a cigar blender. But right. he's done stuff for Davidoff. He's done stuff for Avo. He's done stuff for a lot of different companies in his time. So I was really glad to see. Um, kudos to Atlantic Cigar Company for putting the blender on there. Yeah. That's one of my pet peeves with cigars is when they don't put the blender on there. Yeah, I understand that's a key part of it. So you've been in this business for about a year. We asked, we've had Shannon and Mark both on here. We haven't had Monty on here yet. But we've asked the same question. What's been the most surprising aspect of the cigar business that you've found since you got into it? Um, that's, uh, you know, for me, um, I'm not that deep in the cigar side of things. Uh, and and this is my first um, excursion in retail. Um, I the, from the cigar side, I'm 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 surprised how how far back they still are, you know, technologically, and as far as how we how we do business with them, it's a lot of stuff over the phone. It's not um, you know the PO system, all the stuff manufacturing I'm used to is not there. Um, how many cigars there are uh, astounds me. I, the, the cigar culture probably is the most uh, interesting thing to me because that's really where I live. I, I'm, I'm, I, that's why I got into this is because of people and how tightly knit um, the, the people are here, how kind they are. We had, um, we had a, a couple come in, an older couple come in a couple of weeks ago on their way from Florida up to their summer home in Michigan, and and the husband was very well versed in cigars. The wife was too, but she didn't smoke, and she she said, I think you were here, Shane. She said if she ever got lost, that she looked for a cigar shop to go into because those were the nicest people you can find anywhere else, and I I've seen that here. Um, 
So I, you know, I, the other side of the business side, we're we're four even equal partners, and I've never been in a business like this before. Either I was had no say so, or I was the only person to say so. And um, so I've learned a lot in that how to sort of you know balance that and 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 make your make your case for doing something or not. But other than that, I've, I've really been surprised at how um, how friendly this is and and how uh, loyal people are to you and and I don't know it, it it it's just right. You know, there's times in your life when you feel like you're in the right place and and sort of the stars have lined up and I'm, that's where I am right now with this. Now you have a wife and three girls. Wife and two girls. Two twin, girls. I thought you had girls. twins. Okay, no, yeah, twins. Twin girls. Just that we stopped there. Oh, okay. Yep. I, I'd imagine if your first one are twins, you would stop. There. Yeah, yeah. We, and and we were older, so the chances of twins again were pretty high. Yeah. And, and um, so I, we three would have been okay, but four is a bit much for us. I can understand. Well, and your wife, she she brings you. We we joke around here. We call it Grub Hubby. Because whenever, whenever Willie works, his wife brings him dinner here to the cigar shop. She's and, so sweet. And I'm not talking about stop by McDonald's and no. pick up a 10-pack of nuggets. I'm talking about grilling a steak, That's what putting I've got. rice pilaf together. I've got a steak, a baked potato, and a salad waiting right up there on the counter for me. So if, if, if Willie gets strangely silent here in a few minutes, yeah. we'll lost him to the stake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's hearing the siren call of the, of the carne is, is calling that. So let's talk about a cigar real quick. La Polina collaborates with Oliva Cigar on 1948 line. So this is interesting to me. Uh, you know, I smoked a La Polina on the show last week and was stunned uh, by how much I liked it. So I'm, I'm even more excited by this that's coming down the line. It's going to be about $25 price point, so it's going to be up there a little bit. But it celebrates the 75th birthday of La Polina's chairman, Bill Paley. I find this so interesting because I don't think we've ever seen this in the cigar industry before where a, a patriarch or a leader of a company wants to celebrate a personal milestone and collaborates with a with a company outside just their own. I feel like that makes me like Bill Paley without having ever met him because you know there's no ego involved. To be able to say, I, I run the company, so obviously I think it's the best company in the world, but I'm going to branch out and collaborate on something that's really personal to me. I think that's really cool. So... $25 is a big price tag for a cigar. It is, especially one that has Oliva on the on the band. But Oliva has made a big push to start blending cigars for other people. The new Aliados yeah. are blended by Oliva. Um, there's been four or five different reps in here in the past six weeks that have brought cigars and said, oh, yeah, this is made in the Oliva factory. Oliva's making these for us. Interesting. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating push that Oliva's kind of making into that segment of the market. What's really interesting about that to me is the fact that, you know, we saw A.J. Fernandez start that path about four years ago, and it's worked out incredibly well for them. And, but AJ has such a unique flavor profile that you can always tell when they've touched a cigar. Oliva, I don't feel that way as much about. You know, I, I really like Oliva cigars, but they're not 
I don't know, but maybe two people for whom Oliva is their favorite company to smoke. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I own a brown a um, Remington Model Seven Hundred or Model Seventy, and it is a Remington built on the John Browning patent. What's what's your name? Do what? What's your name? Don't you name your rifles? Well, this I don't name my rifles till I've actually killed something with okay. them, and all I've ever done it's a twelve gauge shotgun. All I've done is dove hunt with this one, so I haven't given it a name yet, but. In the manufacturing business, I guess that's not as rare as to have somebody else. Did y'all ever manufacture something and have somebody else put it on, put their name on it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, we, and we we made like we manufactured some AR uh, uh, upper or lowers, and um, and we would for many other people put their name on it. But so this is an interesting perspective that Willie's bringing here to the show because we always talk about this. Of why, if you had a great cigar, would you give it to someone else? It, to me, it sounds more like uh, you know the Aroa family forever were just growers, you know, and so they they had an, an immaculate crop of tobacco, but never put their own name on it until you know maybe ten, fifteen years ago. But every you know every cigar on the shelf had Aroa tobacco in it. A similar kind of concept, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I was, that's a, I'm glad we did this article while Willie was here. Now, I do have a question for you. How stunned were you at the price of cigars when you first came into the cigar business? Having never smoked cigars before, were you stunned that they were that cheap or that expensive? Or how were you? How did that hit you? No, I, I, I think I, the, the price of cigars we have, um, maybe some... You know, some are upper limits of what I, beyond what I expected. I, you know, I knew that they were, you know, seven dollars, eight dollars up. Um, I am very surprised about how high they can go. Obviously, we don't carry some of those cigars, and I think the most expensive thing we've had here is maybe seventy bucks a stick or something like that. But um, it, it's incredible how much people will pay for uh, for a cigar. Well, I've, I've wondered that. You're, you're kind of a clean palate for me. It's nice, somebody that hadn't been in the cigar business, to have them on the cigar cast because I get to ask questions like that uh, about what kind of shocked you as you came into this. Well, don't just don't ask me too many questions. I'm not... They make fun of me around. You know that, about my knowledge of cigars. I, I, I only have one brain cell, and that thing is taxed already. <laughs> it's, it's just breathing in, breathing out takes up half of it. And... Um, so I, I haven't stored too much of this cigar knowledge. And Willie's a great sport. I pick on Willie probably just to show him how much I love him. He'll come in and say, well, I got a haircut today. And I'll say, which one? <laughs> right. <laughs> he told us one time he had a beautiful head of hair, and I told him he should bring it in for us to see sometime. Well, and Shane, I'll, Shane, you're my backup. You know, many a time I've asked Shane to go in, in and uh, somebody comes in and asks, you know, I smoke this, but I, I want something like that, and I have no clue about what they're talking about. So, and I'm glad to do it. I've, yeah. I've always got you back. Yeah, brother. you you are. You're you're great. <laughs> you know, I've, I've all and like I said, my wife just dearly loves you. It's it's fun to have somebody in the cigar shop. You know, I've always said, you know, Mark is kind of the businessman. He's a people person, but he's kind of the businessman. And Monty is kind of the brains of the operation. If I come in and the cigars have been totally reorganized in the humidor into some random level, I know that Monty and Tom work that day. 
And when our Willie comes in, though, you know it's just going to be relaxed. It's going to be fun. Well, I'm the substitute teacher. I think that's what you call me. I'm like the substitute teacher. I like that. That That's very apt. Yeah, and so when they um, proposed, and we're running a little long on this segment, so I'm going to I'll, I'll, I'll abbreviate my question. When they said to you, hey, we're going to need you to work three days a week at the cigar shop, how did, how did that go over in your life as a retired man? Well, I, I go back to my system of how I count my cigars. I, it sort of works like that. I, I always try to figure out that's too much for me. Three days a week, but, but we. I, number one, I, I do think it's great that we have a person. We have one of the owners in the shop all the time. I think that's that really uh, says a lot to both customers and and just the way we do things. But um, I, I the days I work two days a week, I'm I'm a lot better than the work days I work three days a week. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna step away from a break. We'll be back in a few minutes and all. And we've got more articles. We got another article from Hawaii like we covered last week and we also have articles about um we'll be a back lot with that more stuff. after this <laughs> Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting beside Trey Deadman. And to my left, if I was in an airport in Malaysia at 2 a.m. in the morning, someone that knows William Horton would be there. <laughs> How do you think that stuff up? That's, that's my spe- our special guest is Willie Horton. He's one of our owners here at Mission Cigars. And um, th- thankfully, they never complained about me acting like I own the place. It, no, give it time. I- I, no, you're you're just a you're a great resource. <laughs> we have a lot of fun here at the shop doing things and all. And I, at the break, I was showing Willie my new fancy Zycar punch. I pulled the trigger on the Zycar 10 millimeter center punch that has the little spike in the middle. It was a lot better looking in person than I expected it to be. You know, the aesthetics of it really was secondary to me of the function. Well, of course. Because as is you evident. are you, after all. Yeah, and I, I bought the gold one, which normally I wouldn't buy, but it was the only one they had, and they said they weren't getting any more. Yeah. And I've, I've got a thing. When I buy an accessory, I like to touch it. I don't like to order an accessory online. I'm very much the, the same way. I've been burned by that too many times. So, Willie, what was you going to ask? Well, I I have wanted to know what what when you choose to punch versus cut a cigar. So, number one factor for me is always the shape of the cigar. It's hard to do a straight cut on a box press well. I don't necessarily agree, but I'll give you that. I just I you know I'm very very meticulous. On the way I cut a cigar, and I when I see cigars miscut in here, it drives me nuts. And, and Willie will tell you, a lot of times I'll just say, hey, would you like me to cut that for you when I see somebody yeah. that may not be as experienced? Yeah, don't, don't look at my cigar. <laughs> straight cut. We call, straight. we call Willie the scalper. <laughs> but so that's one of the factors. The other factor is the strength of the cigar. Um, you can always cut it after you punch. So like this animal I'm smoking, I'm on my 
officially fourth cigar today right now. And the this is a strong cigar, but I knew with my palate being a little dirty, I would want to intensify it. So when you do the punch, you kind of concentrate the smoke. So you'll get a little more kick out of your cigar with the punch than you will out of the straight cut. Makes sense. So it gives you just a little more little more range in that area and things such as that. So that, that kind of is where that all comes from. America's largest cigarette, cigar retailers prepare to stop shipments to Hawaii next month. So a couple of weeks ago, we did the story about... Uh, Hawaii raising their tobacco taxes and what an impact that was having to a lot of the folks in the region saying I'm either I'm going to have to cut back because it was it was some ridiculous increase um, and so one of the things that we talked about was all this is going to do is force your brick and mortars to close because people are going to stop buying and shipping them in from the mainland well they've thought through that so Hawaii now says to sell a cigar in Hawaii you must have a Hawaiian cigar license. But they never specified how you go about getting that license. Wow. So a lot of the big retailers are having to stop because the first violation of shipping cigars less than $10,000 would be a misdemeanor. And then over $10,000 would be a Class C felony. They're... Just astounds me. It, I feel like you're the kind of guy that's rarely at a loss for words. So that was interesting to see that wash over you that way. It, the, that's the other, I guess, cigar business. How, how the tide is turning against this industry. The, the cigar industry persists despite so much adversity. Yeah. And new attacks every day. You know, last week we talked about Nevada actually going the other way and passing a law that capped uh, tobacco tax at 50 cents per stick. But then on the other other hand, you've got places like Hawaii that are, are going the other direction. It's it's astounding. The you know we're I think we're very lucky in the southeast in Tennessee. We we do have a pretty decent state tobacco tax. Yeah, it's only like six percent. Yeah. But, you know, there are so many other states that just aren't as lucky. I, I was telling a couple of, about a month ago on the show, I'd been in New York, and a cigar that was ten fifty on the shelf was fifteen thirty six at the register because of all the taxes that got added to it. Amazing. We, I, I don't know if you talked about it. We, we had to change our point of sale system because they, the, the folks we were with, um, I'll not name them, but they... They saw fit to, because we were tobacco. They they started cutting our service and and we um, and, and very important services to us. So it it's um, you know it, it, it everywhere you look it's it comes at you. So whenever they do something like that, they say we're trying to protect the children from smoking. Willie, you've been here over a year now. Have any children come in here and tried to purchase cigars from you? No. I mean, has anybody come in here that was even in doubt? No. And and honestly, I mean, I, under, I smoked cigarettes for a long time. I understand the risks and that. I've known a lot of people that have. But the, but the culture of cigars, I think that the, the positives outweigh whatever uh, possible risks there are with cigars. And I don't think it's as great as cigarettes anyway, so... 
And that's one of the things that's so interesting about these constant fights for our ability to enjoy a hobby as adults that have made the choice based on the facts is that cigar smoking is not as dangerous as cigarette smoking. Now, people like me that smoke four or five a day, you know, it's probably, there's probably, I am inviting some risk beyond the person that smokes six a week. You know, and the life insurance companies charging different rates based on that is pretty evident of the fact. But I think it's I, I think it's interesting going back to the the article real quick. Is it says um, do Cigars International, JR Cigar, and Famous um, have announced through press releases that effective July first they'll stop shipping cigars to Hawaii. I find that so funny because. What Hawaii did was they passed a law that says if you're an out-of-state retailer, you can't get this license as required. But this has very you-can't-fire-me-I-quit vibes to me. What good is it to issue a press release saying we're not doing something that we're not already allowed to do? Now, if I was going on a trip to Hawaii and I wanted to stick a box of Africas in my suitcase to take with me, would they? you think they'd pull them out at the airport? It's, or since it's personal consumption, I'd be okay. You know, it's a good question um, because I think most of this has implications to the retail market and wholesale shipping. Although, no, because these guys are doing retail shipping. So, I, so going back to the trip I took to Puerto Rico uh, at the beginning of the year, even though it's a U.S. territory, you don't need a passport to travel, that sort of thing, you still have to put your carry-ons and your checked bag through an FDA scanner or a USDA scanner at the airport before you can check your bags. And primarily what they're looking for is vegetation and pork products. I don't know the background of why those two things. But it makes me wonder, you know, Hawaii having been a sovereign nation before they became a state and having very, um, being very protective over their local ecosystem, if they probably have a similar type of um, process for going into and out of the state uh, that they might there might be a way they would find it. Willie, you go on fishing trips to the Bahamas all the time. Seems like every time I turn around, you're headed out for another fishing trip to the Bahamas. Um, I, I don't know how much fishing you actually uh, yeah, it's get. Not done. much fishing. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's just an <laughs> yeah. excuse. I, I should say you go on drinking trips yeah, to the Bahamas. Trips. Exactly. Do, do you take any kind of liquor or tobacco with you when you go, or do you buy it when you get there? To the Bahamas, I take cigars, but not liquor because the Bahamas have all the liquor I want, and for reasonable prices. But um, there are other places uh, that uh, I would try to bring in both but I, I don't I'm always worried I don't really know the rules I just I, I'd rather not know and just plead ignorance in your travels have you tried a Cuban cigar yet yes I have I've, in fact I think I have one in the humidor right here what do you think I think the cigar I'm smoking right now is every bit as good that, that's always been our contention on the shows we've talked about okay the Cuban cigar is not a better cigar. Right. right. It's, it's it's a different cigar, to be sure. It's different, but it, I don't think it's good enough to warrant the amount of effort that goes into doing that. No, I, I agree. I, I think the the uh, the taboo of it is the is the really the 
is the appeal. All right. So, from Cigar Journal, what does cigar smoking have to do with vaudeville? Now, Willie, you were alive during the age of vaudeville. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Appreciate that. Sorry, I, I had I had to slip that in, buddy. I couldn't I couldn't resist. And I'll, so this article talks about setting up these dinner theaters where you go in, you see a vaudeville show, you have dinner, and you smoke a cigar in that area. It, the article itself was probably about six pages long. It was a long article, but incredibly informative and interesting to me. And it talks about, you know, whether it's England or France and America and the various ways that the vaudeville performance and for the most part, it all, regardless of which country, it starts in the same place, which was that the high theater was unattainable for a lot of the masses who still were seeking out entertainment. And in the early days, what would become vaudeville were burlesque shows or, you know, sort of tawdry humor. And they were in these pubs or these dinner theaters where smoking was kind of part of it. It, it was part of the, the enchantment of the evening, um, as opposed to being sort of the the more hoity-toity, you know, opera houses. It's going to be a heck of a cigar to outdo burlesque. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> would that I've not had be some good cigars in my life? <laughs> would that not be two great tastes that taste great together? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Chocolate and peanut butter, right here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just when you said burlesque, it just made me think of that. So well, in a lot of these cases, there was this was, um, and this is Austria, but pageantry, nudity, jokes, clowning, obscenities, you know, it it ran the gamut. Pretty much a standard night here, ain't it? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes we have a vaudeville act yep. going on here, and we yep. don't even know. We it. need Derek. So, do you think in America you could have a a vaudeville like show? And have cigars and have dinner, liquor, and everything. Do you think you could ever sell enough tickets to keep that open? So I've, I was actually thinking about this recently. So when I was in New York, I went to the Comedy Cellar, which is a famous comedy club where pretty much all the famous East Coast comics of the last three generations have come up. And and really, the, the birth of stand-up comedy came from these dinner clubs in the Borscht Belt in the 20s. And the, the stand-up comedy was really kind of the MC. And I'm, I hate that I was born so late. You know, they kind of ended around the time of the Rat Pack in the 70s was when that all kind of fell out of favor. I hate that I missed that. In, in a day where all of our content that we're being fed is through TikTok and these short vignettes and we're, we're losing attention span as a collective society. I do think there's a potential for this to come back. I think short little sketches, you know, you've got an MC that runs the show, then you've got a little bit of vaudeville, you get some singing and dinner and theater and things like that. I think it could work a, if it's cheap enough and B if it, cause you have to stay true to the art form, right? Mm-hmm. Like it has to be for everybody. You can't be $150 a plate dinners and it has to be good. You know, I was talking with some friends from out of town yesterday about how 
you know, all of the live music on Broadway and the fact that once you've sort of made it as a country artist, they can't pay you enough to play those clubs downtown anymore because the talent is so good. And the competition, if if you're not funny enough, people won't come because they can get that humor elsewhere. So I think it's possible. I'd love to see it happen. But I just, I don't know. You ever been in the music business, Willie? I know you have a lot of people you know in the music yeah, business. Yeah, no, I, we, we owned a, a building on Music Row at one point, and I was, um, we were housed in there with a lot of music people, so I, I, I saw how that was done, and but I, I never was in it. And my, although my step, my, my father-in-law was in, in my, my wife's side of the family is still in the music business. Okay, sorry, I got to pull the show over for a second. My favorite rodeo event is on right now. For some reason, we've got rodeo playing on the TV back here, and they're doing steer wrestling. Oh, that's it. And I think if I was going to do any rodeo event, I would do steer wrestling. You and me are built for that. We are, man. Yeah, we we, we are. land on that sucker. I always have so much respect, and it was on a minute ago, for the team roping. The guy that throws the heel rope, or isn't that what yep. it's called? Has requires so much skill that it just impresses me immensely. Well, I had a buddy that was in the rodeo business. I don't, I've never told this story on the podcast before. I've probably told it to the two of you. And I, he was in the rodeo business, and I told him, I said, I would like to do steer wrestling. He said, well, I can tell, we can check right now to see if you've got what it takes. He said, sit on the front fender of my truck, <laughs> and when I get to 30 mile an hour, I'll honk the horn. You jump off and grab a mailbox. <laughs> Which kind of softened my enthusiasm for steer wrestling somewhat, as you, as you might imagine. I grew up in uh, riding horses, and I really appreciate uh, this. And, and there really is um, my my da- one of my daughters still does the the uh, heading and healing, the the calf roping, uh, and she doesn't do it. She works for a production company that puts on the shows, and it's amazing. Uh, the the amount of money those people put into that sport and the amount of time they put into that to not really get that much no, back out of it. You're you're absolutely right. Okay, who's the, who's the most skilled, most important, the header or the healer? I think probably the healer. Um, that, I mean, that's where you see the misses the most, and um, I I know, I know that the header um, they lose a lot of fingers. Because, because of the force they, on the rope. Yes, the force on the rope gets caught between the on the horn, and um, so they'll lose a thumb very often. Oof. Like maybe one a one a match, and um, so it's it's not a you know, not without risk. I wouldn't have considered that. Yep. It makes perfect sense, yep. but I wouldn't. My uh, my uncle was sort of amateur rodeo for a while. when I was a younger kid. I remember seeing it. he had a he had a horse roll on him. I forget. I, I want to say he was doing steer wrestling, and he wasn't the one doing the wrestling, but his horse got lost its footing and just rolled on, on top of him and, and messed up his knee pretty bad, and that was the end of it. Okay, sorry sorry for the sidetrack. That's yeah, random stuff from me. Yeah, it, well, it just kind of hit me. I just seen him steer wrestling, and I'm, I'm like you. I think of all the rodeo events, I had got no desire to be strapped to the back of a bull. Or Bronco. Those, watching those guys get whiplashed into the butt of the horse just doesn't sound fun. No, no, none of that really works. So 
We got a great article here that doesn't have much to do with cigars, but everything to do with philosophy. And Trey brought it, so I'm going to let you intro this article, Trey. So this this was an article by Morgan Housel from collabfund.com, but I, I got there through Art of Manliness. It was part of their... If you go to Art of Manliness, they do a... Um, odds and ends post every week and it's just things that didn't warrant their own post and content but it, they, and this is a list of ideas in no particular order and from different fields that help explain how the world works and basically these are definitions and terms and things like that that you may have heard or help help give definition to phenomena that may may not otherwise be able to describe um, one that we've probably all heard of before is imposter syndrome. You know, fear of being exposed as less talented than people think you are. Um, but there were so many great ones in this. And I, the, the first one I really want to call out is the Pareto principle, which is that the majority of outcomes are driven by a minority of events. It's the 80-20 rule. Right. You know, it's, it's 80% of your effort, 20% of your income. But then the obvious inverse of that is Sturgeon's Law. 90% of everything is crap. (laughs) I'm going to have to use that one. Well, you know, it's funny because the 80-20 rule I always heard was 80% of your problems are caused by 20% of your customers. That's why I've always fired 20% of my customers. Right. But I, I think they are, they're different ways of looking at the same phenomenon, right? So, do you think if you cut 20% of the customers that come in here, if you got to pick a certain 20% to <laughs> to bring not back, to not bring in, would it give you 80% on, of your... I don't want to say that on the I'm podcast. not asking you to name names. No. Well, it, it, the 80-20 rule is a, is a valid thing. So, you, you've got to look to where you make your money. One of the ones I really like is, I, I like two of them really well, and I'll let you do Three Men Make a Tiger. But Beridian's ass. A thirsty donkey is placed exactly midway between two pails of water. It dies because it can't make a rational decision about which one to choose, a form of decision paralysis. I know people like that. I, I've been a victim of that. Oh, so have I. I've been a victim of having three or four projects in front of me and just literally couldn't get started on any of them because every time I'd start one, I'd say, well, this is taking away time that I could be spent to another. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of, I've, I've been there. I've, I've been on Beridian's ass. <laughs> I've been a boil on Beridian's ass. And that really, that's a problem I've dealt with too because I, analysis paralysis, you just, you get so caught up in the weeds of something, you can't make a decision. It's really been proven, you know, 90% of stuff is crap. You go through the 90%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> you got so much to do that you end up just sitting around whacking off. There's a new word. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I know our listeners love it when I make up words. <laughs> the, um, the three men make a tiger that you alluded to is people will believe anything if enough people tell them it's true. And it comes from a Chinese proverb that if one person tells you there's a tiger roaming around your neighborhood, you can assume they're lying. If two people tell you, you begin to wonder. But if three say it's true, you're convinced there's a tiger in your neighborhood and you panic. So it makes me wonder if that's why CNN and Fox News and all of these 24-hour news cycle places play the same clip 
over and over, but with a different anchor telling the same story because then it it, it sinks in. It sinks in and it becomes well. I, I heard it all these different places. No, you just you heard it told three different times from the same place. I think this happens in the cigar business. So if like before I came here, I smoked a Sans Pareil. It's a forty-six dollar cigar. It was painful to not say I like that cigar because I'd spent $46 on it. Right. So if three of us bought a $46 cigar and it wasn't a good... Now, the Sense Pride was a good cigar, don't get me wrong, but I'm just using it as an example. If you spent that kind of money on a cigar, it's so much harder to admit, okay, it wasn't that great. Right. Right. Because then you look like the fool. Right. So I wonder if this actually happens if Davidoff has built a company off of this that... You pay enough for the cigar, enough people are going to say they like it, whether they did or not. I, I wonder if that yeah. happens. I, yeah, I, I, it really is. Um, I thinking about that. I've never really thought about this, but you know, the uh, embarrassment of, of the more money you spend, the more embarrassed you are if you've misspent it. Right. And 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 sort of groupthink sort of comes into play. So here's what I love about this article, because this one that I found describes you perfectly, and you're going to take great exception to this, by the way. Okay. Um, But I've never known that there was a word for it. This is called the McNamara fallacy. It's a belief that rational decisions can be made with quantitative measures alone, when in fact the things that you can't measure are often the most consequential. You know, you talk often about being rational and objective and data and facts always tell the whole story, but this basically is talking, and it's named after Defense Secretary McNamara, who tried to quantify every aspect of the Vietnam War, which obviously, for something like warfare, it's not just about, there's the human element that you can't quantify. Right. The most successful war rarely pays for itself. And... I, so I can see that as a principle, but I, I still hold on to my philosophy of what works works, regardless of how it makes somebody feel. Now, that's not to say that everything is not quantifiable. There are things that can be truly quantified. I, I work in data analytics. Trust me, something, a lot of things can be truly quantified. But that was just, it was interesting to see this and go, oh, I didn't know there was a name for that. This is a big one that happens in the cigar business. Group attribution error, incorrectly assuming that the views of a group member reflect those of the whole group. That happens, that is, I would say that's one of the bigger problems that we have in American politics right now, where if, if you support XYZ candidate, that that clearly means that you support 100% of their ideas and philosophies across the board. Yeah, that... And also, you know, the most dominant personality speaks up the loudest. And it's assumed by a newcomer that that's what the whole group feels like. The truth is, the people sitting around him probably have just had this argument before. And But the other side of that is also a very contrarian view that I, I don't want to be part of any club that have me as a member, Groucho right. Marx. Yeah. So there, it's kind of different aspects of that same coin. So... One last one for me, because I don't want to... It's a great list, and I could go down every single one of them. But if I ever start my own cigar shop, I think I'm going to call it Fredkin's Humidor because of the Fredkin's Paradox. 
Confronted with two equally good options, you struggle to decide, even though your decision doesn't matter because both options are equally good. And the more equal the options, the harder decision. That's what happens every time I walk in a humidor. <laughs> I, li- I like Fredkin's humidor. I mean, for the, the four people that would come into your shop that would get that, that would be the greatest day of their life. <laughs> I think that's generous. I think I could be open 30 years and not meet four people that knew the end. But it would be fun to educate people. You know, they walk in, hey, you're the owner of the shop. Are you Fred? No. <laughs> Are you Fred's kin? Yeah. <laughs> Well, kind of, it's kind of a fascinating, and we're probably going to have to revisit this list when I have more time to really go through and overthink these. Um, I, I really like a lot of these things in here, so we're, we're going to have to really revisit this at some point. So, Willie, what's your plan? What happens next here? I don't plan. You don't plan? What happens next here? Yeah, what's your plan? We would like to, uh, well, again, we're four people, so we probably all have a slightly different plan, but I would like to expand what we have. Um, we, I love um, this shop, and I think we've got a, I love this community, and, and it's going to be uh, difficult to, you know, replicate it elsewhere, maybe, but um, maybe we can find some more space adjacent to us and grow it. You know, the, the success of this shop has been off the charts. Mm. I'd have never thought that this shop would do the business that it's done, and it is largely in part to what y'all have done, the fact that there is always an owner here, that there is a priority on that. And you're part of it, too, so well, thank, thank you. you. And, you know, just knowing everybody's name is a full-time job. Yeah, and all, we, we especially have, with the number of bodies that come through here on a daily basis. Well, we have an unwritten rule here in the shop that when somebody walks through the door, if you know their name, you go ahead and greet them by name so that Willie, I mean, so that everybody else knows what their name is. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so each, each of us has our own little sphere of people we know, that we remember their names, and we'll say, oh, hey, Bill, glad to see you. And, th- and then everybody knows, oh, okay, his name's Bill. That's funny. Norm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. We ought to start alphabetizing that where you take the A's through the D's. And Well, what I've tried to have Monty working on is facial recognition software so that when somebody comes in, their name would flash up on a screen somewhere. Or everyone gets a push notification to their phone. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's phone dings. Oh, okay. We all know, we all know his name now. And, <laughs> and then, then I want it specialized for people like me that everybody knows when I come in, I want entrance music. <laughs> I, I, I want Pearl Jam Alive playing like I'm coming out to the ring at Madison Square Garden. I'll tear my shirt off about halfway to the humidor, strike a few poses. I just think that'd be exactly what we need around here. I think you just made a case for why that needs to not happen. Yeah, I think you did too. <laughs> <laughs> just, just saying. Well, Willie, it's sure been a lot of fun having you come well, thank on this you. podcast. This is, with I, us. I'm, I'm sorry I, uh, I procrastinated so long. It's, uh, it's, it's not as bad. I was really well, worried I'm, that you would grill me. I'm glad you got off Durian's ass and, and came and joined us for the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're no, you're no longer a, a, a part of, what was it, Frederick's? 
<laughs> Frederick's Humidor? Yep. Fred, Fredkin's Humidor. Fredkin's. Fre- Frederick's of Humidor is a different company. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a completely <laughs> different idea. They're having a festival in Nashville today that would be really at home there. Oh, it would be Frederick's of Humidor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, how do they get a hold of it? Oh, well, we got to rate our cigars. That's right. Oh, yeah. People always get on to me because I get to talking and forget to rate my cigar. So I'm going to give you the sketch thumbnail version of our rating system. We rate cigars from one to seven. Seven being greatest cigar I ever smoked. I'd break my arm to grab another one. One being I would only ever smoke it again if it was offered to me by a grouchy third world dictator. What would you rate your? I think a five. I'm. I'm. I again. I'm not um, very well versed. I've got about probably half a dozen go-to cigars in there. I don't get out of that rut very often, but. Uh, the fact that this, you know, I, for the price, I think it's a, it's a it's a good solid five. Um, yeah, I would probably I would rate that one probably right in that five five and a half range. That's probably a very fair rating for that. The Animal Eye is definitely a five and a half. All right, um, it's a little pricier than the average Lagalera. Okay, you know, you spend a couple of extra shekels to get this one in your hand, but it's really worth it. Now, it's not a cigar I'm going to smoke every day. It's a cigar, though, I'm going to visit. I'm going to visit like an old friend okay. ever so often and enjoy. So for, for that reason, I have to kind of anchor it down at a five and a half. All right. What do you think of the Bolivar? I'm, I'm at a five and a half on this one as well. Um, it's, you know, the, the Bolivar across their line, whether it's this one, which is a little different, or even the main label stuff, I never get a whole lot of nuance. It's very one note chord. And for me tonight, on a relatively dirty palate, that works. But I don't know that if I would enjoy it as much if it were my first cigar of the day, if that makes sense. Um, to give it a true, honest, uh, I would have to smoke it on a clean palate to know how much of that is is inherently true or objectively true, I should say. Um, but for right now, it's about a five and a half. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? We can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast, Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast, and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, thank you everybody for listening us to not listening to us today. And until next week, have a great cigar and thank well of us. Mm-hmm.